Well, two weeks ago, we began this series. Uh, We've entitled Building Godly Families by talking about um, that moment when Joshua uh, brought the nation back together uh, as he was at the end of his life. And he reminds the people who has delivered them and what God's done in their lives and the the amazing things that they've experienced. Uh, And he makes that bold declaration, as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And that really is a foundation to building a godly family is you've got to make a commitment that says God is going to be first. We're going to pin him first in who we are, what we do, where we go, what we're about, and those areas like that. And then we turned last week uh, to um, the letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be back in that that chapter today. But we looked at the, the, the men and the responsibility that men have and the aspiration that men Uh, really need to have, godly men uh, need to have as uh, we seek to follow the Lord, to to be the the guys that lead our families, to be transformation, leading our families in transformation, being generous and being wholeheartedly sold out to the Lord. Uh, Remember, Paul was writing to a church, uh, probably a collection of churches. I think this letter was actually a a circular letter that went to all the churches in the the Revelation uh, chapter 3 where you see those listed. But uh, two and three. He, he 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 wrote to them because they were living in a day, and they came from a background of of abject pagan paganism that was just ugly and filthy, and treated people differently than than God would want them to. We noticed, uh, and we need to be reminded that women were typically treated as servants in that culture. Occasionally, they, one would rise to to leadership, but most of the time, women were just a very much treated poorly. Children, as we're going to look at next week, were treated almost like slaves or property uh, in that day and age. Um, and, we, and we want to live lives that honor the Lord. And we talked about that aspiration for men. So now we're going to turn to the ladies. And I, I was thinking back as I was writing this week and preparing this week, I don't know if I've ever specifically preached on this passage. I, I could go back and research over the last 20, 30 years. I don't think I've ever actually stopped and just looked at these verses. They may have fallen as part of a bigger sermon, but but I haven't ever dug into them. And so we're going we're gonna to do a little Greek study this morning, so be prepared, because we need to understand what the original language and the communication is coming through here. So let's read the three verses that we're going to look at and then look at three thoughts to go with it and try to understand what Paul is trying to tell us uh, especially in light of the context into which he was writing and the circumstance into which he was writing. Look at verse 22 of chapter 5 with me. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Let's have a word of prayer real fast. Father, we pray that as we look at this, you'd give us an understanding of what your your words are here. Father, as we're trying to understand what Paul wrote, and then, Father, what has been translated into our language for us to understand, help us to see how words sometimes take on different meanings in different, cult, different languages and, and even in different contexts and, Father, time periods of life. Uh, that we need to understand as we try to grasp with and grapple with this idea. Father, this is an area that can be difficult for some. And we pray, God, that we would look at it not from our 
viewpoint. But Father, try to see it for what you're trying to tell us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Just four things I want you to see, or excuse me, three things I want you to see from this. My wife asked me, she goes, what's going on? You've dropped to three-point sermons the last two weeks in a row. Are you okay? I said, well, I try to go with what the text has. I don't try to add to or take away. Just try to let it speak to us. And so what I want you to see first is the verse 22 and the idea here that Paul is trying to write to these individuals in this pagan culture some interesting words. Now, as we dig into this, uh, I, I would challenge you, many of you carry different translations than the one I use. You may have a King James, you may have a New American Standard, you might have a message, tra- paraphrase, I don't know what you got. But there's a lot of different ways to translate this verse. And as we dig into this, the word that we struggle with is the word that in the ESV is translated, submit. How many of you like that word? Yeah, we struggle with that word, don't we? How many of you like to submit to your boss? How many of you like to submit to the police officer who stops you on the side of the road to give you a gift? Right? We don't like, as people, it's something about our nature, we don't like to submit to anybody. But I've got good news for you, ladies. The word submit has been supplied by the translators to help you understand this verse. So if you were to do a literal translation from the Greek into the English, what you would have would not be what you see right there. It would be a little different. It would not have the word submit. It would say wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, why did they put that word in there in the English translation? Some of the older English translations after the King James, you'll notice that word is in italics. That's what they're telling you as it's been supplied to help us understand. Well, it's because that word is in verse 24. But we're going to break that word down as we get into it. He's trying to communicate something here that is not, you know, get over in the corner and hush and go to work, woman. It is we are going to work together. And it's an exclusiveness that goes on here. So notice this. First of all, godly women choose to live exclusively. Now, what does that mean? The word there has been supplied for us. So what does it mean for one to aspire to be a godly woman who then honors God and the one to whom they're married? And the big idea here is that a godly wife does this. She says, I am going to exclusively partner with you. You're it, big boy if you want to put it in a modern paraphrase, we're going to be partners. We're going to walk together. We're going to work together. We're going to work unto the Lord together. Our relationship with Jesus gives us the example. When I surrendered my life to Jesus, I said to him, what? I'm yours. I'm going to partner with you. You're going to work through me. We're going to have a relationship where you're going to fill my life with meaning and purpose. That's the idea here. The big idea is a godly wife partners with one man so they can serve together as a team for the Lord. As a woman enters into a covenant relationship with Jesus, she says, I'm partnering with you. As a man enters into that relationship, we're partnering with him. And then he brings to us what? Forgiveness. Jesus brings forgiveness. He brings uh, redemption. He brings new life. He brings uh, all these things. And then we bring to the table who we are, our uniqueness, our individuality, That doesn't go away when you trust Christ. It doesn't go away when you enter into a marriage relationship, as is the common thing in that day. As these two parts come together, something bigger happens. And this idea of exclusivity is even revealed all the way back in Joshua. You know, Joshua had a Mrs. Joshua. 
Joshua wasn't the man he was without his wife. They partnered together. They served together. They worked together. They lived together. And they carried the load of life exclusively for one another. There was no room for another God or even another person in that process. So this idea of teaming together is a very important thing that I want you to see here because it carries the idea of working together, serving together, ministering together, and being a part of the team together for the Lord. So what do we do with this? Here's my thought for this section. A godly marriage has three active participants. You're going, three? Hang in there with me. They are the wife, the husband, and God. Without God in the middle of a relationship, what do you have? A godless relationship, okay? So what we're talking about here is very important. Many years ago, I pastored a church, not this church, another church, and, and I had the opportunity to get to know a couple really well. And, and they joined, in fact, while I was pastor at that church. They became involved in, in the ministries of the church. They went on mission trips with uh, we went on mission trips together. I got to, to do a construction project with a husband one time and a couple of sports camps uh, and gospel saturation projects with, with, um, with the wife on the team. And we really got close. One day they called and says, we need to visit with you. And they came in and we sat down in my office and they said, we, we need to tell you about something. And I said, what is it? They said, well, we've, we've, we've had an infidelity in our marriage. Now, I'm going to reveal my sexism here. I said, okay, so what did he do? Because what? Let's be honest. Often it's the man, right? In this case, it was the woman who had chosen to step out of the marriage and had a relationship with someone else. And my heart was broken for them. Uh, We worked through that process. We had numerous sessions together. I stayed late in the office visiting with them and talking with them and praying with them. And they decided that in, in God's help, that they're going to try to put that back together. And so we came back to this verse that we need to be reminded of, I think, if we're going to be people who are exclusively connecting with and partnering with a husband and wife in this relationship. And it's from Genesis 2.24, we include it in our prayer time. Therefore, a man shall what? Leave his father and his mother and they and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's a partnership an exclusive relationship that you come together. And the idea is the man commits, the wife commits, and there's an exclusive relationship that nobody else gets in the middle of, and they walk together. By the way, the couple I mentioned, they put their marriage back together with God's help. They're still faithfully serving the Lord. They're involved in a church still to this day. God's blessed them with a child at this point. Their things are going well for them from what we can tell. But a godly woman says, I'm going to live exclusively with my husband and relate. Number two, godly women then live cooperatively. Look at verse 23. We've got another Greek word we've got to dig into because there's some tough stuff in these passages. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, aspiration number one is a godly woman lives exclusively. Aspiration number two is she lives cooperatively. What Paul does is he expands the concept of a godly woman here, and he writes to the church at Ephesus, and I think the churches around Ephesus as well, about this cooperative relationship. And he uses a word that we look at and go, Okay, I think I know what that means. And it's the word that's translated twice, head. 
we think head. That means he's the what? The boss. The word head, uh, head is the Greek word kephale. Now, you want to impress your friends this week? There you go, kephale. Say, so your kephale is a little crooked. You know, your, your head's crooked. I don't know. Kephale. But, but I want you to grasp this. The, ke- the idea of kephale, and it lit- the common use of the word is the word head. But there's a deeper translation available for this, and there's another broader thought that, that can be added to this word that we need to understand, and it's hard to translate it quickly into English, so they would translate it head. But the bigger idea is this. It's the word met. M-E-T. And you're going, no, that has nothing to do with a head. Well, a head has to meet to a body, right? There's a, that's kind of there. But not, it's really the idea of a cornerstone and two walls. If you were going to build a house, besides breaking the bank to buy the wood today, apparently, what would you would do is you would build one wall, right? And you're done. No. You've got to have more than one wall. And where those two walls meet, you have a joining a cornerstone, if you will, a connection that is valuable. Is why? Because it's what brings the ability to have something more than a wall. For years, I was a single guy. I was a wall. I met my wife, or the woman who became my wife, and we got married, and we, we had a kephale. We had a meeting. We met, and we started to build a family, build a life, build a marriage. Which one's more important in that relationship? Therein is the point I want you to see. It takes both, doesn't it? It takes more than one to build that relationship. We have to meet together. Ultimately, the the idea of which one's stronger is immaterial because it takes all of us working together to build it. And that's what I want you to see. A godly woman and a godly wife cooperates and says, I'm going to work together because it's in the best interest of all of us to do that. It carries the idea of teaming together with the previous verse into the idea of an exclusive relationship in cooperation. And it leads me to this thought. A godly marriage sees the power of connection at the cornerstone. It's almost a restating of the first one, but in a, a broader way and reminding us that we have to build this thing together and it's not us on our own and it's not the wife carrying the load, it's not the man carrying the load. It's a team that carries the load with Christ in the middle. Just remember, every person in the first century, virtually every person in the first century, was either married by the time they were old enough to walk around almost, or something was really off in their life. And they didn't have the luxury like we do of living as single adults. A single adult would be just kind of an oddity in that day. People just didn't do that. And and particularly for women, a woman who was a single woman in that day typically had one career choice she could follow, and it wasn't an honorable one. So they always got married. They would find someone. They would connect together and they would live in partnership and they would have to figure it out. But in that day, women weren't treated like they are or should be in the scriptures. And Paul is challenging them. In many ways, Paul is a radical when you think about it. He's saying, we don't want to live like the world. We want to live the way God has us to be, a partnership. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden where it was a team effort instead of it's me against you cooperation. Paul saw the value in being single. I know many in this room are single maybe again because their spouses have passed away or 
or they've never married for whatever reason. And, and you sit there and think, well, but I, I'm of no value. Well, Paul would have disagreed with that. If you listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says this, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So apparently Paul was single. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than burn with passion. A man and a woman commits themselves to godly marriage. And in the process, they find connection. They find blessing. They find God at work in them. And then he says to those who do get married, these words, to the married, I give this charge, not me, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. What he's talking about is what we're talking about here, cooperation. Maybe that's why the writer of the Proverbs said this, it's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful wife. Uh, Maybe so. So godly women live exclusively. They live cooperatively. Third thing I want you to see is they live reverently. Reverently. This is the aspiration we have. Look at verse 24. And we get the word literally now. Now as the church, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Now you're going, there's that word again. I don't like it. And oh, it's actually in this verse. It's not filled in by the translator. It's really here. The Greek word, if you want to be impressing your friends this week, is upotasso. Upotasso. That sounds like a great word, doesn't it? Doesn't translate into anything. Transliterate into anything. It's never been made English sounding. It's you got to translate it. And this is where the issue comes in in translation. As our language, uh, if you were to read the first complete English translation of the Bible, we could not read it because it was written in Middle English. Our language has changed and continues to change and continues to evolve. There's words we use today in ways that we wouldn't have used when I was a kid. And there are words used today that wouldn't have been used the way some of you would have been when you were a kid. And there are words that you did use that quit being used. They've got new words for them. The language, our language is a very rich language. So we have to, to deal with this issue. So what does upotasso mean? Depending on which translation you're holding in your hands right now, you're seeing one of two words primarily. You're either seeing the ESV's translation uh, of submit. It's in a couple of different translations. Or you're seeing the word subject. Now, if you think submit's a hard word, subject really is a hard word, isn't it? But it's a culturally relevant word to the time it was translated. As we struggle with these words, this word is one of those words that translators try to bring into English to help us understand what they're talking about. And we go, what in the world is he talking about? What's fascinating to me is that in each of these verses, some have claimed the subjecting or the submitting of women for centuries. And I don't believe that's what he's talking about here. He's not saying women should be forcibly made to be servants. That was the cultural standard of his day. He says, that's not who we are in Christ. In Christ, we have a partnership. We have a relationship. We are able to walk together and talk together and minister together and live out the gifts that he has for us. We make an exclusive connection. We make a cooperative commitment, but we also reverently work together and we make a choice. And I want you to see this because we, we want, we, we, 
this is such an area that is controversial. It's probably why I've avoided it for, oh, oh, 30 years. It's because I don't, I don't know how to deal with that yet. But I think, I'm, I think I'm understanding what Paul's trying to tell us here. And it's the idea that as the church says, Christ, I submit myself to you. So a wife submits themselves to their husband. As we already talked about, the husbands have a relationship to relate to and love and care for their wives. There's a partnership going on here that we don't want to miss out on, an upotasso that we need. There's no, there's no hint of superiority here. It's not, oh, the man's the boss and the wife's the... No, that's the way that was in the culture. He said it's better than that. The wife says, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to minister with you. I want to be a part of the team. And the husband says, and you're my right hand. I remember growing up in the house of a deacon. I have to be careful because he watches sometimes, but I grew up in the house of a deacon, and I watched as my dad tried to serve as a deacon. God bless men who serve in that role. But let me tell you what, the one who did most of the deaconing in that relationship was his wife, my mother. She's the one that got the birthday cards ready to mail. She's the one that had the anniversary cards ready to mail. She's the one that kept her ear to the social network to what, before Facebook. What was going on so she could say, now, Dwight, you need to go by and see this family on your deacon ministry list. You need to go make a call. You need to step by and see them. You need to step in and help. My dad would not have been the deacon he was without his wife. They partnered together because that was her gift and her ability. That's the relationship that Paul aspires for women, for men in Christian godly families. And that leads me to this point that I want you to grasp. And it's that a godly marriage chooses what? Mutual reverence for one another. These verses are literally flooded not with the idea of subjection, not the idea of forced submission. That's not here. Instead, the big idea is as a, relates, as a result of the relationship the woman has with God and the relationship that the man has with God, they choose to walk together reverently and mutually in this process. It seems virtually I think all of us really want to live lives of harmony and unity, don't we? We want to live lives of peace, don't we? Some, they say, oh, well, here's how you do it. I tell you what to do and you do it. Good luck. For others, they say, I'll just walk away. I don't want to be a part of it. I'd say good luck with that one too. Paul makes it clear the right way to find a path forward is to live reverently husband-wife together. A decision that says we will serve the Lord. We will follow Christ. We will let God's giftedness and abilities and talents live out in us as we are best matched. I, I remember my, my aunt and my uncle. They were an odd little couple. They were quite a bit older than my dad. And I always thought it was strange that he was the one who did all the vacuuming and the cleaning and and all the stuff like that because you know the the traditional 40s 50s family that wasn't the way it was and i always thought it was strange then i began to understand as i grew that he was good at that and my aunt man she can make a pie but she couldn't vacuum a floor you know they had figured it out 
that they had a reverence for each other and a respect for each other. And they said, okay, you're good at that, you go do it. You're good at that, you go do it. And they walked together. And they found this, what Romans 12 tells us, to live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So see, as we follow his words, what we find, ladies and men, both is as we commit to the Lord, we find a, a, a process whereby we, we become exclusive relationship together, we cooperate together, and then we respect each other and have reverence for each other and lift each other up in that process. Doesn't that sound good? When we understand it that way. So how do you get there? Well, you know the start. Starts to know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, it's hard to have him in the middle of your relationship. So we're going to have an invitation here in a moment. We're going to give you an opportunity to come forward if you feel you're led to do so and need to do so. The altar will be available. I'll be available to pray with and over anyone who wants to do that. But we want to live lives that honor Christ, that lift him up and bless him. Father God, we thank you so much for loving us, for your blessing. And we thank you for the relationships that you give us in life husbands and wives, which we'll talk about next week, children. We pray, God, that you will guide us to be people who honor you, that we lift you up and we live aspirationally for you. We pray for your hand on us right now as we respond to however you lead us in Jesus' name.